Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be uh, back recording after a brief hiatus that we took, although the listeners probably won't even notice it. But, you know, I miss you guys. I know, I miss you too. I'm I'm broadcasting (laughs) now from Austin, Texas. I am no longer in Chicago. Uh, so that hence the hiatus, but we're we're getting settled. We're we're getting in a pretty good place. I hope you guys had a good hiatus as well. David Luzader, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> That's all I got. David's ready to go. Hitting the ground. I'm here. <laughs> well, we are doing a new to two pick, which is actually Nicole's. That is Nicole's opportunity to bring a movie that neither myself nor David have ever seen before. Before we announce it, however, I do want to announce next week's movie. Now, we have some explaining to do. We've always done Netflix roulette. You know, that's always been the theme ever since this show started, like, what, three, four years ago now, somewhere in there. And I think as a team, we all realized that sometimes Netflix Roulette didn't give us the outcomes we wanted quite candidly, right? We get a really awesome movie or a really dumb movie, and then we just get something weirdly in the middle. And the weirdly in the middle things aren't as fun to talk about and probably and not as fun a, to listen to. And the weirdly to. in the middle were like 80% of what we were getting. Right. Yeah. So we have always talked about how, oh my gosh, I wish I could bring this movie or this movie, but I can't because you guys have seen it, so it doesn't work for Nuda 2 or it's not an international film, doesn't work for around the world it's uh come out more than 10 years ago so i can't make it be a future classic maybe it's not a future classic even if it's been in the last 10 years we have all these boxes that we have very intentionally put ourselves in and we like but we're going to let ourselves out of the box once a week because we are going to create a new segment called can we just talk about and that's going to be where we throw a bunch of our own picks into a random generator. There's still going to be some randomized natures to this, just like Netflix Roulette, and we are all going to get the opportunity to then watch a movie that one of the three of us picked from that random generator that we're just dying to talk about on this show. So you're going to get a lot of all of our favorite movies, probably, and just stuff that didn't previously fit into the other categories. So it should be a lot of fun. Woo! Yay! So at the time of recording, we hadn't chosen a movie yet, but what came out of the randomizer the following day was actually one of the 10 that I submitted into the pot, and it is going to be 2013's Pacific Rim. Woo! Enjoy. But then there's this movie this week, Nicole. Upstream Color, it came out in 2013, after a baffling experience that removes her free will and leaves her life in shambles, a woman struggles to put her life and identity back together. When she and a man she meets on the train are drawn to one another, will they be able to figure out what happened, or will they spiral down into paranoia or disassociation together? So, Nicole, Upstream Color, uh, how... How'd you find this movie? I, I mean, is it just because it is a uh, it's a Shane what Carruth movie, and you sought it out, or or how did you come across this this bizarre curio? <laughs> well, I mean, my uh, fiance is a member of the Brattle Cinema, which is a lovely independent cinema in Cambridge, Massachusetts, 
And they get all kinds of weird little art house movies from time to time. And he had heard that there was a new movie coming out from the writer and director of Primer. And I said, ooh, Primer was, was really interesting. It was a really smart little movie with a tiny, tiny budget. And he did an amazing amount of things with that tiny budget. So I heard they spent a little more money on this one. Let's, let's see what this is. And um, I went to see it and I spent most of the movie making what I call my WTF face, trying to figure out A, what was happening, B, what the things that were happening in various places had to do with the other things that were going on in various places, because it is all interconnected. That's one of the whole themes of the movie is interconnectedness. And then at the end saying, wow, that was, that was really good, but I'm still not sure what happened. And, you know, we talked about it for like two hours afterwards and mostly made sense of it, but (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't until rewatching it this week that I was like, oh, oh, okay. And everything fell into place. You did give David and I the prerequisite of watching it not three hours before the show, which tends to be our MO. So uh, that was that was useful. Because How dare you? David goes at least six hours before the show. <laughs> yeah, I watch it. I watch it in 30 minute chunks across the day sometimes, <laughs> depending on the film. Yeah, it, I'm glad I had more time to sit with it. I appreciate the the offer to, uh, or the suggestion to do that. It might have just made me more angry at it. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> certainly a risk. The longer I sat with it, the more I realized how I was just, like anger typing into the dock. And I think I told you guys, there's just like weird oddities that happen in this movie that just annoy me. I am so upset that this woman, she puts her... Your kitchen knives in the in the dishwasher, and then she scrapes nonstick pans when she's making eggs with a fork. It's that honestly is the most distressing part of the movie, not the parasites that control your mind and tie you to a pig. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty big sin. That's that's a no no. Just anybody out there listening, uh, hey, you right now cooking eggs with a fork in your nonstick pan? <laughs> Stop it. Don't don't do that. That's get just some wrong. chopsticks if you want to stir your scrambled eggs and you're not. There, you there you go. There you go. But no, in all seriousness, they, uh, Nicole, you're right. There's a lot of interconnectivity in this story, and there's a lot of different things happening at once that don't really get explained until the very end of the movie. So we'll we'll dive right in with our myriad of discussion questions, starting with movies with barely audible dialogue shouldn't be allowed to be released. From <laughs> okay, David. Hello. Now hello. I needed subtitles for this one. <laughs> Yes, no, and that was my frustration, was I, I was watching this, and there's a scene, it's just after, oh man, and it's been over a week now since I've watched this movie, so I'm, I'm dropping character names, um, but it's the main woman. Chris. Uh, Chris, when, when Chris has been taken back to her place by the thief, uh, I remember the people who don't have names, I remember their titles, uh, but the thief, and the thief says something to her in her kitchen, and I'm like, what? Why, why, why he's mumbled like he's like mumbling to her and i had to get subtitles on i was having issues with my subtitles so i had to rewind that part like six times so it's getting very frustrated and i'm i'm not gonna ding this movie entirely for that but come on mix your dialogue so i can hear it that's not a hard thing to do and it's not a big ask from me as an audience member i'm also <laughs> talking to you christopher nolan Oh, I was just about to say, have you, 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind watching stuff with subtitles, but it does break the immersion a little bit to have words dancing across the screen in a movie like this, which is supposed to be like a thinker when I have to like make sure I'm knowing what's going on. Cause I have to read it. That hurts it a little. Was your audio synced? Because I rented this on YouTube as yes. you did as well. And my audio was not synced. Oh no. <laughs> which That's makes this true. movie even more discombobulating. <laughs> wow. Imagine this movie, but everything being about two seconds behind the video. <laughs> oh, oh, that's rough. Yeah, that is rough, especially considering the editing is not 100% linear. Right. No. Uh, it's mostly and- linear, but not 100%. There's, in particular, one sequence where they're going to a formal event where it they save the some event that happens in the middle for the end so that it explains what happened. You know, it's just, well, it's a little bit off. So I have it on Blu-ray. So I got the best possible sound. I had the subtitles on. So I didn't have any trouble, but I could see why you would. So I'm, but I, I do think some of that may have just been a technical issue with the yeah. uh, recording that you watched. It's yeah. entirely possible. It's only available to rent on YouTube right now, which is why we watched it there. It sounds like we both had some issues. It is a soft-spoken movie. It was on Amazon when I picked it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not your It's fault. okay. Yeah, it, it is a soft-spoken movie. I mean, as long as we're talking about the dialogue, though, I just... Why is it so rough? I, I know it's part of it's because the, the conversations that are happening are between two people who are slowly gaining their memories back or trying to fit those pieces together to figure out what happened to them but the dialogue felt so stilted to me and i and i really struggle with it because the conversations between chris and uh jeff just didn't feel real they just felt like him yelling at her and (laughs) i didn't know how to take that i don't know if you guys got that at all from this movie i mean i definitely felt jeff's um because Shane Carruth, who is the the writer, director, and lead of the male lead of this film, I would say that Chris editor, that, producer, yeah. composer, yes, all those things. That <laughs> Amy Amy Simmons is is I would say she's the star of the film, um, yes. but he is the the male lead, and he's not an actor. Uh, he has times where he does okay, and he's also not. I mean, I guess he is a screenwriter. I can't say he's not, and I can't really say he's not. He's not an actor by trade. That's not what he. Grew it's not up what he does doing. primarily. Yes, primarily, and uh-huh. uh, you know, it's it, for all of his interesting plots and concepts and stuff. That doesn't necessarily make him the best screenwriter uh, when it comes to dialogue or the best actor. So I think Jeff was definitely the weakest of the the two of them on screen. Well, I think part of the dialogue issue is that they're repeating they're repeating the same conversations over and over again or fragments of conversations over and over again and not realizing that they're doing it because they keep having the same arguments almost word for word and i think that's meant to be a side effect of the trauma that both of them have gone through uh with the thief altering their memories shane caruth number one his character is supposed to be awkward you just mean to her, though. Like yeah. their, their love story is so hard to understand when they're opening interactions. It's just him being a jerk to her. 
I'm not going to argue that that with it. The performance grew on me a little bit as the movie goes on, where he's really there for her and supportive, where anyone else would be thinking that she's having a complete mental breakdown and be freaking out and maybe trying to find a way out of the relationship. But yeah, I, I like I said, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I will say I w- did have... A, a very strange reaction to his initial interaction with Chris when he first asks her out, I guess, if you can call it asking her out. Right. When he's like, I'm not going to call you about signs, though. Okay, but I'm not going to call you about signs. And I'm, yeah. I'm not I don't need you signage. I don't need signage. It's like, we get it, dude. We get it. You, you're, yeah. you're hot for her. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I I struggled with their romance because it, it just felt so bizarre to me, but mostly based on how he treated her. But... Let's dial back here because we're throwing around some really weird shit and not explaining it for any listeners that decided to skip the movie. To be fair, the movie doesn't for a lot of it either. So. No, neither of his movies hold your hand in any way whatsoever. It's either you take notes or you fall behind and that's too bad. Right. So at least in this one, unlike Primer, I didn't need a map, like infographics, charts, yeah, I didn't yeah. need stuff <laughs> yeah. showing me what's what's happening. Was I need extracurriculars for it? Yeah, I, I remember being introduced to Primer in high school, and it was like considered really highbrow, right? It was like the one kid that knew about Primer that was like, "This is gonna mess with you, man. You're not smart enough to understand this." <laughs> and, um, they were right. We, we made a map. We absolutely did the, you know, what everyone else did. But I digress. So, yeah. So, at the beginning of this movie, we find out that there is a thief called The Thief, only through the credits. And he is committing what seems to be the most complex and unnecessary way to commit mortgage fraud, which is to put a parasite inside of someone, which they are then controlled by him because they become increasingly open to hypnotic suggestion and he just kidnaps them seemingly for months to slowly get them to sign away their mortgage to him and then all like it seems like it was a while like he's he's having them reading and memorize books to keep themselves busy yeah but it's only a matter of days it wouldn't take you is it days yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't take you that long to copy out walden also he keeps them awake the entire time which the human mm-hmm. body just cannot do and, after and a certain them, point. okay fair enough i i, I miss that starved day. yeah yeah, yeah so, so the couple days he's just he's slowly getting them to empty these accounts to him and all that sort of stuff and he's seemingly done this a number of times because after we then meet jeff uh, it seems pretty clear right away that this has happened to him prior because he lost his broker license for taking money from accounts and moving it from account to account and then taking it. Uh, so it becomes pretty clear that that happened to him as well. Yeah. So we have these two characters, Chris and Jeff, who are then bonded unknowingly by the fact that the thief had done this to both of them. Well, but are they? I mean, they are bonded unknowingly. It's not just the thief, though. It's the sampler. Sampler. Well, it's also their pigs are are coupled up. Oh my god, the pigs! Yeah. Okay, so I didn't. Oh my, I face palmed so hard at the end of this movie. I'm sorry, Nicole, but when they all meet their <laughs> when they all meet their twin pigs, I'm like, oh Jesus Christ! But yeah, so there's a sampler. The sampler is this old man out on a pig farm, 
And he's, he's not that old. He's just he happens to have gray hair, but he's probably like fifty. Oh, you, have, you have to remember it's Brett. He's yeah, I know he's an infant. elderly man. <laughs> um, this, he, this he's man near death. Yeah, he's out. He's out there doing some Brian Eno shit and like trying to mess with people by playing through a MIDI keyboard and recording these sounds throughout the farm that then somehow impact the pigs, which then in turn impact the humans. I'm not sure that's what's happening. <laughs> what's happening with the mini keyboard? Okay, so wh- from what I gathered, and I did do some extracurricular research on this, and there are various theories. Okay. Sampler refers not just to him sort of sampling the parasites out of people, but he's also, he samples sounds. He's like a Foley artist. You know, right. he goes out and he records bricks falling over and the sound of a big metal file on a wooden fence and various noises. And then he electronically alters them and composes music with it. But it's right. not until he's sitting in the pen with the pigs to which the parasites have been transferred uh, because it needs to move from one living host to another, apparently. It's not until he's sitting in that pen with his little MIDI keyboard that he apparently feels inspired enough by, I don't know if it's the bonds with the people or what it is about the experience of sitting with the pigs, but that's where he composes successfully. But see, I think there's more to the music because, you know, I was doing some reading on this and there were some interpretations that the sounds that he's making when in the pen with the pigs, Mm -hmm. they uh, influence the consciousness of the people that are connected to the pigs as we find out at Mm -hmm. the end. Yeah, they do. Um, Cause, cause Chris is talking about like, I hear this noise Right here, this and then and then when they are driving around and they are putting the bricks going down the side of the pipe, that seems to like satisfy, like this is what I've been hearing. Right, like I was reading this piece on IndieWire where they said, by virtue of obtaining possession of the bug, the sampler is able to continue the impact Chris's experience with her surroundings, not unlike what the thief did. But the sampler's agenda is quite different. Rather than merely taking advantage of her resources, he wants to continue to influence her, toying with her awareness by creating various sounds and sensations in his remote location that impact her waking life. In essence, he's playing God. I, I mean, that would also lead into just the weird... And you posted this in our docket, one of you, how he just kind of hangs out watching the people that he's impacting, and you can't really tell if that's a, if that's real or not. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure about that. Okay, so to be clear, to people who have not watched the movie, and God help you trying to follow our I know, my discussion God. if you haven't watched this movie, these people are infested by a parasite that makes them susceptible to hypnotic suggestion. The parasite grows inside of them, and people are not able to extract it themselves. This man called the sampler plays, uh, goes out to a field, plays rhythmic noises at the ground, which riles the worms up. Yes. Not just the earthworms, also the worms inside the people's bodies. So the people are drawn to him. He pulls the parasite out and transfers it into a living pig. Mm -hmm. And by that process pig and the person become bonded right um psychically apparently although the people don't really seem consciously aware of it 
It's not something where they're like, oh, I want, you know, how's my pig buddy doing today? <laughs> I bet they're comfy down on the farm. I mean, maybe after the movie's over, they all found their yeah. pigs. But um, so where was I going with this? Oh, right. So, <laughs> so he goes out and the sampler goes out into the pig pen from time to time and puts out his hands and touches the pigs. And when he does that, we see him sort of appear next to the person who corresponds to that pig. And he's sort of like observing them and whatever they happen to be doing at that moment. And I'm, I was just wondering if he was really experiencing that, like if he was psychically actually seeing the person doing what they're doing, or was he touching the pig and imagining what the human it was bonded to was doing at that time? It seems so. It seems pretty heavily implied by the scene where Chris looks at him that he does have some awareness of them and what they are doing. And there's that whole sequence where he's like seeing that guy's whole relationship with his wife um, after she's been like taken to the hospital. Right. Right. I mean, like to what extent, you know, he's not really there hovering them. But it seemed to me, my interpretation of it, <laughs> Shane Carruth, uh, is that he is seeing what they're doing. He is a- aware of, of what's going on in their lives. What is Not, his perceived motivation then? That's, that's what I couldn't it. wrap my head around with the sampler. It's like, why? <laughs> yeah, that's the tough part. <laughs> yeah, He doesn't gain any monetary value from it i mean the thing i read the same, same thing that you read brett which like the implication of it at the end was just like he enjoys the control of it this is the the one character that i wish they had done a little bit more explaining with you don't need to tell me you don't need to tell me how he first found the worm how the worm interacts with your brain waves etc blah 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 whatever but you know this is one where it's ambiguous enough that it's like huh like, I can't even, like, kind of figure it out. Why is he doing that? Why did he do it? Right. It's not even clear that it doesn't seem like he and the thief even know each other and realize that they're... No, it seems like it's all happening happenstance. Yeah, but then how does he know to call... Right, exactly. Yeah, how there's some... All the parasites, what's going uh, on there? Oh, that's a good point. Because for, 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 for the audience here, if you're still listening for whatever reason, you not watch a movie, <laughs> you know, uh, what the pigs that are infested that he kills uh, by chucking them over into a, off a bridge into a river. Well, he, he doesn't oh, kill the pigs. So no, no, he doesn't kill the pigs. He, also, he kills the piglets, which is worse. The pi- <sighs> oh, okay, that's worse. He kills the piglets. They drown in the bag, but then they seep blue goo which i know is in our docket here to get to in a moment and then that then comes up through the roots of this big tree these what like orchids or some sort of flower yeah yeah, some sort of flowers grow these florists come by they pick the flowers and then the thief is getting these maggoty type worms from the flowers yeah. So what? where does the blue stuff originate? What is the blue stuff that's seeping out of dead piglets? I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and again, I don't need all of this overly explained to me, though they are in a paradoxical loop because seemingly, according to what we've seen here, like 
he needs the piglets who were born of infested hosts to, or he needs, I guess he needs it. But, but again, like, is this something that they pass on because they're infested to their young? Or is it something like if he threw over an infested pig and it happened, would that be what triggered it? But the fact that that needs to happen, there needs to be an infected creature in some part of the process, infecting the water that infects the flower that then infects these worms yada 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 how how did it all start i don't know are are you kind of going chicken and egg here because like the way i see it is like at the in the movie the worms are the the sampler takes the worms out of chris Mm -hmm. puts them into the pig Mm -hmm. now the pig's infected Mm -hmm. but the pig the worms from the pig will eventually go to someone like chris via the flower and the thief. Well, so, no, the the pigs no. the pigs aren't in the blue goo. Or not the pig though. The worms aren't in the blue goo. It's the blue goo creates the flower that creates the worm. Oh. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like so, 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 so. What we're introduced to here is we see the life cycle of how the the flowers and the worm all come about, but it tracks back to an already infected creature. Uh, in some way seeks out this blue goo that then creates the flower to create the worm. So where did the worm originally come from? And again, again, this is, this is not even my qualm with the film. I don't need that question. (laughs) Where does the the blue stuff come from is my question, because that seems to have the psychoactive properties. Right. Right. So where does it come from originally? I don't know. And why, why would he, why does he throw throw the piglets away? I mean, number one, it's inhumane. But number uh, two, yeah. you know, like if he doesn't want the piglets, he could slaughter them and be done with it rather than throwing them in a bag like, you know, an old timey villain with a sack of kittens. I was really worried. The river. Right. <laughs> I, was, I was really worried that there wasn't going to be a purpose to that. And it was just wanton death and destruction. <laughs> I, I almost got really upset at this movie. But like, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to me from his point of view. Like if he's experimenting, you know, he's keeping records of the people he's pulling the worms out of. He's like taking down, you know, he's writing their names and addresses right. and taking photos and showing what pigs their worm was put into. But why, why get rid of the fruits of that experiment by getting rid of the piglets? Why not and, let them grow up and see what happens to them? And that implies that he knows that he's right. part of this cycle. Right. And that's not 100% clear. But he also seems to start losing control of this cycle because things start happening that he is not expecting, nor does he like. You know, for example, the piglets, which seems to be implied that, um, not Fred, what's it? Jeff. Jeff is Jeff's pig. Fred. I don't know where Fred came from. Jeff's pig got Chris's pig pregnant. Yes. That's kind of implied. Yes. And then yeah. as a result, her body seems to like go through and recover from stage three cancer. Um, but at least the aftermath. I think it's meant to imply that the worm did that. Like as it went through her. That it- right, right. No, the worm did that. But then also there's something happening with her body that is causing her to not be childbearing as a result of what happened to this pig because the pig is messed up. The worm did that to her when it was inside her body. Yeah. Okay. So, like, she had cancer, but the worm, I guess, ate it? 
I want to say maybe ate the infected did, tissue oh, or helped her shed it or something. Did she actually, I was under the impression that everybody who, who got infected by the worms lost their ability to reproduce, but it, that's not made uh, clear in the movie. So that's just my assumption. I, I don't know. Interesting. That's totally certainly wrong. possible. That's certainly possible. The, the impression I had was that the worm got rid of the cancer, but in doing so, the scarring that was left behind left her infertile. Yeah, that, that's certainly possible. Now, Chris is played by Amy Simitz, who I have only ever seen before in the Pet Cemetery remake from two years ago, uh, which is actually quite good. I like that movie. It's got a, uh, what's his name? Um, John Lithgow in it. And he plays like the creepy old man that's telling them not to go up to that cemetery. Yeah. But so I digress. Uh, I hadn't seen her anything before, though, besides that. Uh, do you like her performance, Nicole? I think it's fantastic. I think it's I think it's tremendous. She's really pulls off, you know, a, appearing to be uh, hypnotized without being a complete drone. And she yeah. has this sort of, it, particularly the scene where he tells the thief tells her that her mother has been taken, and she has this sort of absently worried look on her face and she's oh no she's like doesn't freak out because she can't because her emotions are are sort of being dulled and regulated by what's going on but it's just worrisome enough that she'll really want to do something about it and try to figure out what that is she she and- was more <laughs> she was more like emotionally dead than than Mark Wahlberg in the happening but to look at her, <laughs> what? No. what? No. With still yeah. more believability. Yeah. And then afterward, as she's trying to pick up the pieces, it's clear that she's very likely been diagnosed as schizophrenic. And she's mm-hmm. taking antipsychotic medications now. And she's dealing with the side effects of those, which can be significant, as mm-hmm. well as just the fallout of coming back from, I'm guessing, bankruptcy. Right. And trying to find a job after what would look from the outside as abandoning her previous job. So she feels lucky to have her job in the sign shop where she's making signage and banners and things for it, such and it such looks school district. So sad. She's yes, so it does. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And it's a very sad days. And she has these periods where she goes into a catatonic state, briefly, or like a fugue state temporarily when she hears rhythmic noises particularly which apparently everyone who's been exposed to this parasite does you know we see jeff at one point turning a faucet on and then off and then on and then off just repeatedly to hear that cyclical sound so i i think without oh sorry go ahead oh so i was just gonna circle back and just say so you know i think amy simons does a fantastic so I think it's a wonderful performance. Yeah, I think without her, this movie doesn't work on any level. Because as as established earlier, Shane Carruth is uneven at best. Uh, <laughs> and like Primer, we didn't we weren't watching Primer for the acting. We were watching it for the realistic and confusing time travel story. And I, I think without her in this movie, any sort of like depth or emotional weight would probably have been lost or mitigated at least. 
Agreed. Uh, especially as you mentioned earlier, David, the fact that, you know, Caruth's acting is not the strong suit at all. So she carries that weight. And, and I agree. I think she's great in the film. Moving on to some of our other discussion topics as well. There's a lot of meta- metaphors and themes in this movie, identity, addiction, memory. I very much got the vibe at the end of the movie that to me, having her reciting Walden while piecing everything together in her mind was a little bit like obvious to me in a way, because you know, Walden's all about this, you know, this communing with nature and like this, like putting yourself in the middle of this circle of life and, and not being dependent on anyone beside yourself. And she's literally caught in this like, parasitic circle between her and these pigs and like you know getting her memory back and like it's 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 very focused around the circle between the humans and the pigs so the walden thing kind of spelled that out for me a little bit of what he was trying to say there um but there's a lot of other themes here as well yeah yeah Um, (laughs) well i mean i was just trying to pull out like what is and I mean, it's ridiculous to try to to pin it down 100%. Like, what is this movie trying to say? <laughs> there, there's it's, it's a bunch of things. Yeah, there seems to be some sort of, like, environmental message that Caruth has been weirdly cagey on uh, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like don't go dumping stuff willy nilly in the rivers. Yeah, Who knows what's going to happen? Right. <laughs> but you know, it has to do with your identity. What happens? What happens to your identity, your sense of self, and who you are as a person if your free will gets taken away? You know, what's left of you in that person? And then once you get it back but suddenly you're without money, you're without a job, you're doubting your own sanity. Right. What happens to your identity after that, Out of after that kind of trauma? And I think there's a little bit of something there with her hair as well. I mean, you could say perhaps after that, because there's a scene of her going through the, um, like the security pictures of her like going into the bank because she insists like no i didn't do that i didn't come into these banks but they show her she did she talked to the banker she made all these transactions and then we jump forward like a year later and she's she's changed her hair which could either be like something she feels she has control over is that thing or it could be like i don't recognize myself after what happened so i'm going to make this change yeah because that it just feels weird even looking at myself. Yeah, kind of building yourself new. Mm-hmm. They have some very disorienting conversations, you know, toward the latter half of this film where they're, like you said earlier, Nicole, they're having the same conversation over and over, but they're each remembering bits and pieces from the previous conversation and then assigning it to their own lives because they think that's what happened to them because they can't remember what happened. So they start creating these narratives for one another where Jeff keeps believing that his childhood is what Chris's was. And then it, it shows just how easily they're, again, their free will, I think is a good way to look at it. And that also ties back to Walden really well, can be messed with. But I... I take issue with this entire conversation because I feel like I would hate Shane Carruth as a person. And I'm sorry if you're <laughs> listening, Shane Carruth, but I don't think we get along because no, no, any- don't we'll, we'll get to it, but 
You when, don't need to apologize for hating him. So when anyone <laughs> asks him about his movies, and in this film in particular, he's like, yeah, you figure it out. No, that is no, no, no. I'm sick of that answer from directors making purposely vague stuff and then arguing it's only up to the audience to interpret it. It doesn't make you a genius. It makes you arrogant. And I really, really don't like that. I just, wow. I, you must hate David Lynch. I, you know, I'm. I feel okay with. I. I feel like I'm just getting my Aronofsky hate out now again. But he absolutely <laughs> refuses to explain his movies. He does. I know he's notorious for that. But like, I. I think there's a difference between refusing to explain your movie and making something so aggressively vague that we can all sit here and say like, yeah, the sampler could be literally anything. Like there's there's not enough for there's not enough meat on the bone for us in certain parts to really have those conversations and he expects us to have them because he's smart. And I just that always rubs me the wrong way because I mean and then and he's not that smart. Like you he, like he I don't know. I'm very frustrated, guys. I think part of it's cuz I read this interview with him. That was the most infuriating interview where someone asked him about why he left Hollywood and he said it because he couldn't stand the fact that people are making movies like Garfield and The Phantom Thread in the same building. And just the most elitist way of describing why he hates Hollywood is so Hollywood. It's so upsetting. I just find him to be entirely frustrating. And this type of art to me at times can be frustrating. And, and again, like I'm all here for interpretation. I love that. And we've talked a lot of this stuff to death on various films, but when he doesn't give you enough to go off of, and again, I think the sampler is the perfect example of that. Mm. You're, just, you're just left with like an empty character and he expects you to fill it with whatever you decide. And I don't know, know if that's, that's true. Great art or not. And you know, while we're at it, how did the, thief figure out to take these larvae out of plant yeah, roots right. and make mm-hmm. tea out of them and force people to ingest it and that would make them open to hypnotic suggestion yeah i and i will say i, I look i am going to despite all of this i will give shane caruth one up here the opening scene and first of all this movie is shot uh, on much better cameras than primer. Um, I would say it's, it's shot more competently most of the time. There are some scenes where like, it still feels very amateurish in the way that scenes and shots are composed, but I will say generally shot better and definitely with, with much better cameras, as I said before. But early on, when he is demonstrating how the worms kind of work, though there still is something we'll get to that in a sec um but he's showing like the people you know like distilling this like kind of tea you know there's somebody harvesting the worms and they show the worms make somebody on some level like open a suggestion you can kind of control them i was like okay like that's and then and then it happens to her and i know kind of what's coming it's like okay that is right. a good job of showing us yeah. and not telling us. And it's very efficient. It's only like yeah. in the first like seven or eight minutes of the movie, you get the whole idea behind what the worm can do and what the thief plans to do with it. Oh, yeah. Though I don't get why you would show that like, oh, two people can drink the tea and then like one person can control the other if that's yeah. like not at all what's going to happen later. No, you never see the thief take anything to be able to control her right it just makes her open to suggestion that was a bit open to suggestion because he has like drank the tea and then can control her i don't know right right apparently Kruth got the idea from you know reading about the, um, the yeah, cordyceps the, uh, is it a fungus cordyceps 
that like infects ants and makes them climb to the top branches of the thing and it grows out of them. Yeah. Yeah, right. So. I, I found the interview I'm talking about and just pulling bits and pieces of, out, of it out are so infuriating and pretentious. At one point, the interviewer says, what sort of art impresses you these days? To which any normal person would be like, oh yeah, I really liked X, Y, and Z. Instead, he just rambles about The Last Supper for like 20 minutes and then follows up with, the Last Supper is legend, dude. Ugh. <laughs> is that the one where this dude invites like all these people to a dinner and like they make horrible? No, no. Fashion? The Last Supper, as in the Leonardo da Vinci painting. Oh, that is the art that impresses him these days. That was his response. I see. You're <laughs> so pretentious. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Nicole. Nicole. What? <laughs> What do I not know about this man that makes me disliking him okay? You you hinted at it earlier. All right. So I started doing some back research. Like, why hasn't Shane Kruth made more movies? Because he's made two movies in, like, the past. Primer was, I think, 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, in the past 17 years, he's made all of two movies. And it's not for lack of people thinking that that he's a smart filmmaker and that maybe he should make more movies. Apparently it's because he's a terrible person. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and nobody wants to work with him because uh, he's a control freak for mm-hmm. one might be a hint that he's acting, directing, writing, producing, composing the music for, because he doesn't think anybody else can accompany, <laughs> you know, put the right sounds to his yeah. script. My, my- my understanding is he won't, he doesn't want to take money for his movies because money, uh, like to make his movies, you know, taking money from someone else means giving away any amount of control, which he can't deal with. Right. Right. So, uh, like, half the crew walked off this movie at one point <laughs> or another and he replaced them with like college students. Uh, did not have a, a professional animal handler on set. There's rumors that some of the animals died. Uh, mm. in the filming process. He and Amy Simons actually got together after this movie, and they were a couple for several years until she filed a restraining order. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, doing mental and physical abuse, and that has been made permanent recently. So he can't go anywhere near her or have any contact with her until at least 2025. <sighs> right. Which he leaked himself. <laughs> on Twitter. It's not going to win you points, man. Right. Yeah. Somebody had asked him a question about, like, how can I get the vinyl album for the score for Upstream Color? And he's like, you know, he tweeted back, I don't know. I only got a copy because someone sent it to me. And he showed a picture of the album. And underneath the album, with the name clearly <gasps> visible, was a copy no. of the restraining order. Oh, oh, no. no. That's so <laughs> there are those who think that he did it deliberately because it was about a month before the release of Amy Simetz's movie that she directed, uh, She Dies Tomorrow, so which I have he, not seen. I've heard mixed things about it. He but, tried to like take her movie by revealing that he's so yeah. terrible she needs a restraining right. order against him? Yes. Yeah, because he presumably thought i've said presumably a whole lot because who knows what this guy is thinking when a scandal comes up like right before a movie that's all people ask about in the interviews oh you know or some major event happens that's all people suddenly want to know about and not about the movie itself 
But yeah, so uh, he's terrible. And oh, I'm as, looking at it right now. This is purposefully placed. Oh, this absolutely. Is, oh, absolutely. Good. Because and you see, can see very clearly that it's a restraining order and that it's from her. And it's very good. No one who's as detail oriented and control freakish as this man is lets something out like that by accident. Right. So, so yeah. So, I mean, he's written a couple more scripts. He's written something called Atopiary, which is a science fiction epic that's like 183 pages screenplay. And then one that's even bigger called The Modern Ocean, which is 240 page script, which had Keanu Reeves attached to it for a while. Interesting. Uh, but the they had gotten the funding to about 13 million and he couldn't get any more than that from independent enough sources, I guess. So he dropped it and uh, just released a direct link to the Dropbox for the script for A Modern Ocean. So you can go and read that if you wanted to. Huh. Interesting. So. To tie it back, you know, briefly, the, you know, you mentioned David Lynch and... It's my understanding. I don't think he's this bad of a human being. I, I, I don't know. Any, I don't know anything about his no, personal life. No, I don't think he's threatened think to so. kill anybody. Right? No, I mean of. he and Isabella Rossellini broke up, but yeah, I'm sure there's <laughs> reasons for that. But, but I mean, he seems like a decent enough person. Right. But the reason I that he doesn't rub me the wrong way, I think I'm starting to kind of come full circle on my thought here of why someone like Caruso bugs me is that Caruso is so Caruth. David Caruso. Caruso. David Caruso also <laughs> terrible, but, <laughs> but for different reasons. Caruth. <laughs> uh, Caruth is just so obstinate in his, uh, you figure it out. I'm smart. And, and that funnels down through his personality of saying, no, I'm not going to take money from anyone to do a project. And it's like, you know what? David Lynch made Dune. Like that dude's okay taking uh, money to go do something <laughs> crazy from a big studio. And like, I, I love Twin Peaks. Like, I, I feel like that dude has done enough in his career and gone all sorts of different places because there might not be an ego the size of Caruth's here stopping him from doing that. Yeah. Because I think it might be fair to say that if Caruth would be willing to work with other people, then people would give him money and he would be able to go do cool different things. But his career plateauing is seemingly his own doing. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I mean Lin nowadays, you know, I yeah. don't think anybody's going to want to work with him anyway. No. Well, and also, like, you when you have a fan base that is rabid of like a little bit of cult of personality, um, I'm on the, I'm pretty sure I'm on the Shane Carruth subreddit right now. Not cult of personality, but like, you know, like they're going to see your movies because you made them, and then when it comes out that like, hey, you're this much of a terrible person, a sizable amount of them are going to be like, no, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm done with Woody Allen movies, you know, just like, yeah. Yeah, why I haven't heard him. Woody Allen. What happened <laughs> next week on movie go around. <laughs> I will admit that I, I wasn't like a fanatical, uh, follower, but I, I really enjoyed primer. I really enjoyed upstream color. I thought they were smart. I liked that. They didn't hold my hand. You know, yeah. that I needed to sit and watch them a couple times to try and figure stuff out. I like it when filmmakers do not talk down to me. I appreciate that very much. So when I found out that this is why he's not making any more movies, I'm like, oh, yeah. God Primer, damn it, not again. <laughs> Primer, as crazy, like Primer, you can make sense of. Yeah. It's yes. complicated. It's complicated technically, 
but you mm-hmm. can make sense of what is happening in that movie. Right. Yeah, you can map it out with enough time and effort. It it and does coffee. make rational sense. So I, I do want to have one more call out here because there was a discussion topic from David. I want to dial back to before we end the show, which was there. There's a tonal shift in this movie from hard sci-fi to melancholy love story. And yeah, it does get weirdly like eternal, you know, sunshine during the latter half of this movie. It's just, it's a very weird tonal shift. And I think you're right to point that out, David. Yeah. Well, it's something that even like other reviewers and all that pointed out. And for me, it was jarring at first. It's like, Oh, okay. This is what the movie is about. It's about, the swarm thing and she's gonna like figure it out and blah 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 and then at like probably about you know 20 minutes into the second act i'm like oh no that doesn't not that it didn't matter but it's just like that's not really what this movie is about and it's about these two people finding each other yeah i mean that's part of the identity too is the identity that you sort of create as a couple you know you have your your own identity and then there's right you and your partner And you have like couple friends, but then you also have your individual friends outside of that. So it's like, you're still the same person, but you sort of, you forge something together when you're part of a couple. Right. And that's kind of what they're doing, but to a tremendous degree to where they can't tell whose memories are whose. Right. Right. Yeah. It it does feel more scattered to me than Primer. I do think he had a lot of ideas here, and I don't know if all of them panned out for him. It's interesting. And I do believe that if he was a little bit more open personally with the fact that he made a movie like this, and that maybe he doesn't have the answers, I'd feel kinder toward it. I think his own coloring of saying, you go figure it out, stupid plebs, kind of annoys me. But I I do think that it's a really interesting movie that obviously warranted an hour-long discussion, and we could talk longer about it, I'm sure. I'd like to see other filmmakers that I like more do movies like this. <laughs> um, Nicole, what was that movie? I'm going to get really... This is great This is great podcasting here. I don't remember What's the name of the movie. What's that one movie with the guy? Ugh. I don't remember the name of the... I, all I remember is that they're on a farm, there's two dudes, and there's like a big like... like sun in the sky and the big sun in the sky. there's always a big sun in the sky again great podcasting there's like a planet in the sky what? you loved it when it came out and then you told me to go watch it and i loved it and i can't remember the name Farm, <laughs> planet sky i'm gonna come it's back in and Star editing. Wars, right that's too <laughs> i'm gonna come uh, back in editing and add whatever it is but it was very similar to this oh my goodness and I remember you went and saw I, it in theaters, Nicole. I'm I'm gonna need like color one out of or space. two more. God, this what? is great podcasting. Color, color out of space. Yes. No. 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 That's not it. Not no, that's no. not it. That's the uh, Nick Cage one. Okay, we'll get back to this. Future me is gonna edit it in. Bright, bright burn. <laughs> no, wait. No, that's another movie. I'm just kidding. beneath <laughs> the harvest. <laughs> no. All righty, we'll figure it out. Um. In any case, uh, how does everyone feel about this? For me, the first time seeing it, I'm glad I saw it. It's interesting. I don't know if it's my cup of tea, nor do I think I can watch it again, but I'm glad I saw it. Uh, What about you, David? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, it's an interesting one that I wouldn't wouldn't tell people not to see, um, but it's for very, like, specific people that I know that are interested in this kind of, like, story and, and filmmaking. And I think there's stuff that, 
stuff that made me very frustrated about it when I watched it. Like there's a point in this movie towards the end where it just like clicks where it's like, okay, that's what's going on here. Yeah. And I know for some people that's going to be very satisfying and for some that it won't be. So I feel like we've said this with like some movies um, where it's like, I know people that would like this, but not a lot of them. Yes. Agreed. I found the movie. It's called oh. the endless. Do you remember that? Oh, Okay. That was great, and it didn't hold your hand. No, no, those are moons. That's not a planet in the sky. Well, that's it's why a I commune, can't. Not a farm. It, I, it's been it's been four years. Been, <laughs> I, I got with, I got within shooting distance. Um, all righty, uh, yeah, uh, Nicole. Any final thoughts on your pick? You know, I'm glad I watched it again. I probably won't ever watch it again after this after finding out about what sort of person Jane Carruth is yeah. um, it makes me sad and frustrated that uh, talent doesn't always come in a nice package <laughs> <laughs> but I'm willing to discard it because there are plenty of talented people who are not getting their movies made yet who could use a shot but I I do really like movies that feel like this, where you've got to put the pieces together yourself. They're lower budget. They're independent. They're smart. They don't talk down to me. I like that. I saw, um, also has color in the title. I saw Fast Color uh, not too long ago, and that was quite good. Small, independent movie. And that's one where you kind of have to put things together. It explains things a little more clearly for you, but it's got a bit of the same feel. I like, but I like, I like intellectual stuff. I do. I just hate it when people use it to look down on other people. Right, right. So I would only recommend this if you have a, a high tolerance for head scratching and pretentiousness. If you, if you want a movie that you and your friend can talk about for the next six hours and annoy everyone around you by not shutting up about, might I suggest Upstream Color? <laughs> there you go. Watch Primer. Uh, all righty. Wonderful. Well, a reminder next week is, uh, can we just talk about, and we haven't picked it yet because it's going to go through a random generator. That's why Future Me is going to say right now what it's going to be. It's Kaiju versus Tokusatsu. We will be watching Pacific Rim. Alrighty. It's weird that all three of us put Too Fast, Too Furious in there. <laughs> I know. Uh, in fact, we were all asked to pick ten movies, and all of us, nine of them, were all, all just Fast and, and Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> ten of them. Tokyo Drift was in there. All right. Hobbs and Shaw was in there, you know? We had to get to <laughs> ten. Don't make so. me. I will. <laughs> Honestly... We we need to. I feel like it's digression. At some point, we need to just like pick series and like talk about them as a whole on one episode. But that means devoting like nine hours of your life to Fast and Furious. I am not watching all of the Fast and the Furious movies, and you can't make me. Hell yeah, you're gonna <laughs> think I'm not gonna <laughs> work those you into this. Watch all. Okay, you make me watch all of those. I'm gonna make you watch all the Hellraiser movies. Oh man, <laughs> I'll bring Underworld. It'll be great. All righty. Uh, guys, <laughs> I'll wrap it up for myself, David, and Nicole. Where can we find everybody online? We'll start with you, David. Davlas, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. Find me there. And Nicole. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to take care of our Facebook page, <laughs> facebook.com slash Podcast. 
Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. That'll do it for all three of us. We'll see you next week with. Can we just talk about? Mm-hmm.